0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. And today on the show we're going to talk a little about increasing protein levels in wheat. Now, if you're not a wheat producer, you might say, well, I don't know, this doesn't really pertain to me, but we do want you thinking about protein levels in all crops. So we're going to talk about what's important if you want more protein in any crop. That's coming up on today's show. If you've got a question for us, though... You can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. We'd love to visit with you about anything going on agronomically on your farm. Our number again is 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so every year we get a lot of questions, especially from wheat producers, about protein levels. And here are the main factors that we have seen over the years. Now, by far and away, number one, when it comes to wheat, we're looking for good levels of available nitrogen late in the season. And where we often see lower protein levels, it's a lot of times in high yield. And you might say, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. I'm getting high yield. Everything looks good. Why is my protein level off? Well, I'll tell you why, because you had enough enough nitrogen to make yield, just not enough to make protein. It's kind of the same thing in corn sometimes where we get some really high corn yields and then in some areas of the field, the corn falls over. And you go, "Whoa, what's what's going on? I, I should have had enough potassium there. Because, I mean, I got a great yield and everything. Well, yeah, you had enough potassium to make yield. You just didn't have enough potassium to finish out the stalks and make them amazing. So anyway, with the wheat, how do you get protein available late in the season? Several ways you can do this. So one of the things that a lot of people have talked to us about, especially in the last five or eight years, I would say, is they're literally spraying nitrogen over the top of the wheat crop call it three gallons along with a bunch of water to safen it but they're spraying that on pretty late in the season. So you get to heading and there's still an opportunity or maybe right before heading there's an opportunity if you have enough pro or if you have enough nitrogen in that plant to bump those protein levels. so with a very late treatment guys are throwing some nitrogen in That's one way to accomplish that I, I guess, personally i look at how can i long term make things better for my wheat crop and any other crop that i'm raising well we talk a lot here on the show about soil organic matter what soil organic matter will do is it will release nitrogen during the course of the growing season so the way it basically works is this when your organic matter is built in the first place so and organic matter is just decaying plant and animal residue. Well, when it breaks down, when it gets fully decomposed, there's still there are still all kinds of nutrients in there. And then with that organic matter, it mineralizes over time. So it breaks down even further releasing some nutrients. So we will usually figure over the course of an entire growing season so that means like for us our frost comes out in let's call it April and then the ground freezes up in November maybe December if we're lucky Um, so during that whole time that's when you'll get some free nutrients coming out of that soil organic matter through this process called mineralization well we usually figure 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for each percent of organic matter four to seven pounds of phosphate and two to three pounds of sulfur so, I I just say you know what long term so let's say that I'm thinking about the next generation that's going to farm my ground. Um, I want to try to build up my soil organic matter, even if in my entire lifetime I can only raise that two points, which I know I can, by the way, and I can do even more than that in our soils. Uh, think about that. That's potentially forty to sixty more pounds of nitrogen every single year. However. I just want you to keep this in mind with wheat. It's a big difference between wheat and corn. With corn, we're often harvesting when the snow's flying. So in other words, we were able to take full advantage of any nitrogen the soil's organic matter released. However, with wheat, like here, uh, we would harvest wheat in mid to late July, maybe early August. So we're not going to have a full season's release on nitrogen. So that's where some guys kind of get caught, especially people that uh, come to our soils clinics, follow what we talk about all the time, and they go, well, I I thought my soil was going to release 100 or 150 pounds, and it doesn't look like it released that much because my wheat ran a little short on nitrogen. Well, the reason why is because you only have a crop that grows half the season or two-thirds of the season or maybe three-quarters, depending on your area. So where wheat is a full-season crop, where people are harvesting shortly before the snow, then they can take full advantage of all that nitrogen that's going to come available in the soil. Okay, so we've talked a lot about nitrogen here. Yep, there are different ways to do it. You can put more on early. You can put more on mid-season, late-season. You can try to build soil organic matter, have more nitrogen available that way. A lot of people talk about slow-release forms of nitrogen, whether that's ammonium sulfate. or, I mean, there are there are a lot of different polymers and things like that that get used with nitrogen now to delay the release. So all those things can help. On top of that, we're just going to encourage you to do everything else you would normally do to raise a great crop. That includes having good drainage, having really high levels of sulfur and micronutrients. If you're missing anything, In that overall fertility program, it's very possible that, number one, nitrogen won't get used as efficiently in the plant, which leads to, number two, lower protein levels overall. So I guess I would just say I'm really, when it comes to protein in wheat and any crop, I am focused, number one, on nitrogen. But that does not mean that we want to neglect anything else. So sulfur is a good example of a nutrient where, boy, if your sulfur levels are not good, the nitrogen doesn't get used as well in the plant. So even though you go, whoa, I put all kinds of nitrogen on, yep, but you got to make sure it's getting used well in that plant. So you got to have good levels of sulfur and zinc and boron, potassium, phosphorus, everything else. So it's really kind of all encompassing. So anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about protein levels in crops on today's show. And again, if you got any questions for us, it's 844 44 ag Stick around.
1: We'll be right back. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen.
0: All right, we're
2: running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check.
1: Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Envita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Envita while supplies last.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Sauter with 360 Yield Center. Getting more nitrates into the corn plant drives yields higher. When and where you place your nitrogen makes a big difference in packing nitrates into the ear. 360 Y-Drop places in right over the roots. It's the most efficient way to move nitrates into the plant. For better tip fill and heavier kernels, convert your side dress bar to 360 Y-Drop. Learn more at 360YieldCenter.com.
3: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio. Today we are talking about increasing protein levels in wheat, but as always, we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too. You can email us radio at agphd.com or just give us a call at 844 44 phd Happy to welcome Reed Abbott with AgriLiquid to the program. Reed, how are you doing today?
4: Doing just fine. How are you all doing?
3: We're doing well. All right. So we're looking at protein levels in wheat. And of course, I want to get high yield too. Reed, I don't want to sacrifice anything. I don't want to have really, I hear guys say sometimes, oh, my yields were terrible, but at least my protein was good. I want both. Is that possible?
4: Well, uh, I mean, anything's possible, I guess, Uh, you know, depending on the year, but um, you know, certainly uh, if we manage our fertility situation, right, that does give us the best chance for both of those outcomes.
3: All right, let's talk about the protein then. And I know a lot of growers say, well, I got got some great ideas on how to get high yield. Uh, Let's tweak things just a little bit to to start looking at this protein. Many guys say, well, it's a function of nitrogen, but I've heard a growing number of farmers as they've been boosting sulfur levels say, man, sulfur is a big part of this thing too. What have you seen?
4: Well, yeah, when you take a look at what or what makes up a protein in a plant, I mean, there are going to be a lot of different things. Nitrogen being, uh, you know, that primary nutrient that kind of everybody looks to. But, you know, as we always say with just about any, any kind of nutrient recommendation, a more balanced approach rather than just focusing on one nutrient, uh, taking that more balanced approach is going to, Going to, you know, result in an overall healthier plant. All of the metabolic functions within that plant are going to be, uh, you know, operating at a hundred percent. And so, uh, theoretically speaking, there we would we would get a higher protein level and a more efficient plant uh, if everything was clicking on all cylinders.
3: Now, if we could go out and put the right nutrition on every single day and drive it into the plant, that would be amazing. That's not very realistic though in a field scale approach. Uh, So what do you think the timing is and and when do we really need to make sure we got everything right in order to maximize protein?
4: Well, uh, you know, uh, as you said, I mean, our our cultural practices don't necessarily line up with the nutrient needs and the timing of that that nutrient needs. So Utilizing, uh, you know, a a good top dress program in the spring, you know, as that that plant is coming out of dormancy uh, and moving on through, uh, you know, I mean, in the case of spring wheat, even, you know, mid-season there, uh, as that plant's moving into reproductive growth, um, you know, having a good uh, fertility program out there and ensuring that that fertility program persists all the way through the end of that that growing season is going to be very important there. So.
3: I know AgriLiquid has a number of different nitrogen products. Uh, What do you target when you're going for uh, in-season applications? Do you have something that you lean to? And and what's the difference versus just using, say, a straight liquid 28% or 32% nitrogen?
4: Sure. So we have an a, in-response is, is our nitrogen-based uh, foliar product, but we also have a product called Fertorane, uh which does have a, a, an amount of phosphorus, potassium, and then some sulfur and micronutrients in there. So depending on how, you, how balanced you want to get and what nutrients you want to focus on there, um, we can kind of make different blends. Uh, you know, if you're looking at that foliar time application, uh, but certainly if, you know, you've got a uh, soil-based application in mind, you know, earlier on in the season, um, we, can, we can work with you and, and how your um, cultural practices line up and, and how you want those nutrients timed out throughout the season. Uh, and we can, we can build a program, you know, top to bottom from, from nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all the way through your micronutrients, uh, depending on where, how you want those released.
3: Yeah, I like the focus on just the complete package here, not necessarily just nitrogen, but nitrogen being a big piece in this increasing protein level target that we've got. Now we're talking with Reed Abbott here with AgroLiquid. Reed, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thanks a lot. All right. I've got a grower right now with a lot of experience in raising a successful small grains crop. we got Lee Lubers with the Extreme Ag Group. How are you doing, Lee?
1: I'm
3: doing good. All right, so protein, is that something that you're shooting for? And if not, uh, what do you notice with some of the different methods of, of farming that you've been doing?
2: Uh, well, winter wheat is uh, more elusive on high protein than spring wheat. Uh, I know there's been numerous university trials uh, comparing spring wheat and winter wheat uh, for return on investment and it's harder to get that on winter wheat. But uh, over the years, the one thing we've found, we're getting the correlation of the better job that we're doing in our initial fertility and our biologicals and seed treatments. At the beginning, we're able to, I think we're getting more into the plant. So uh, we've actually gotten to the point as yields are going up, our protein's going up. And for years, we struggled with that
3: interesting yeah you know starting right right off the beginning is is really key for a lot of things and uh, you, you talked about biologicals as well there's certainly been a lot of uh, studies being done a lot of interest in the market about using some of the different biologicals for nitrogen. Uh, I'm assuming that's a tool for this uh, not not a complete solution
2: yeah we're kind of suspecting that the uh, microbes that help with solubility, of nutrients are helping get more into the plant. So we have it there and the plant's able to utilize it. That's the only correlation that we can come up with is as we've gotten more active in that arena, uh, we're seeing the correlation of yield and protein coming up or before we can attain that.
3: Oh interesting. Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of things going on out in the field. You Now starting early, a couple of things here too. In dry years versus wet years, uh, that can make a big difference. How do you how do you adjust when you get a year where you get tons of moisture like we had in 2018-2019 versus uh, the last couple of years that have been pretty dry?
4: <laughs> Our rule is we
3: never back off. That you sound like my brother Lee. That that's about exactly what he would say.
2: Oh, I I I'm one or two steps below that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh yeah, we're we're talking with Lee Loopers here, and Lee. Uh, for anybody who's just listening, hasn't heard Lee speak before, he farms uh, oh, a couple two three hours west of us in South Dakota, where it's a little less rainfall, a little tougher environment, and and uh, he and his brother just do a great job out there uh, with crop rotation. Lee, I, I know a lot of folks will say, well, that can make a big difference too in in nutrient availability and perhaps some carryover nitrogen. What what do you see with different crop rotations? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, soybeans, uh, going to winter wheat have been our best return.
3: Yeah. The, the nitrogen piece there. You, okay. So let me ask you this, cause I know we've done soil testing where we've seen a hundred pounds of nitrogen left from soybeans and other years we don't see hardly anything. Uh, what have you guys noticed? Do you, do you see, do you see a wide variance like that too?
2: It's where we get our best return, our highest yields, but we really don't go and give ourselves an end credit for the soybeans. We still push the fertility, the whole program, and uh, because, well, the variability of weather, how wet, how cold, a lot of variables there, how it's going to affect our mineralization. Uh, Another correlation that we picked up on is when we look at our complete soil test, the higher our organic matter levels are, or the fields, when I go back and look at the prior year's wheat, that's where our highest samples come off of. And I think that's due to the biological activity and the mineralization.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say we see that same correlation to the the higher organic matter soils, uh, generally better producing if we get good weather as well. Uh, well. Last thing here, Lee, you've mentioned return on investment and getting a good return quite a bit. I know that's important to you. With nitrogen prices backing off this year, uh, does that does that mean you go for it even a little more?
2: Uh, it's pretty much business as usual. We have our yield targets and that's what we're going with and uh, if we cut corners in fertility, uh, we're taking money from ourselves. Yeah,
3: great, great message, uh, Lee. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you guys uh, farming this spring.
2: Hey, thanks a lot.
3: Brian, return on investment, return on investment. A message was clear there from Lee. Hey, this is great to shoot for high yield, to shoot for high protein, but it's got to provide a good return on investment. Or it doesn't make sense doing it.
0: Yeah, it does, and that's where – it makes a tremendous amount of difference what the crop price is and what the fertilizer price is. So you got to weigh all those things in, and it continues to vary all the time, so you have to re-look at it on a regular basis. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk a little more about protein levels right after this.
1: It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us.
5: Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start, Start your, your engines. Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instruction. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from FarmShop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call FarmShop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over!
4: What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped.
5: Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! <laughs> we feel heaven
4: and Yeah, he ordered that
2: new Battalion Amped herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard.
5: This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how
2: can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com.
5: It's gonna be a good year!
2: Always read and follow label directions.
3: This is Mike. Hey, he's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school.
5: It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh!
3: Yikes! Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time, and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for.
1: No, No! 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 No!
3: Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio talking about increasing protein levels in wheat we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD real happy to have phil needham with us with needham ag technologies on phil how are you doing today doing great
6: darren how are you guys we're
3: doing well. Okay, i got a number of questions for you, and it, of course uh, you can sure have the whole floor here if you just have, know what, exactly what you want to say about increasing protein levels. But one of the challenges that I see is growers try to push nitrogen, and if they don't have a decent amount of potassium and the other important nutrients, they have lodging and other issues out in the field. Uh, what do you see with this? Is is nutrient balance more important, or is is just nitrogen the real key here?
6: No, I think it's a fair comment. I think you need a a good balance starting out. You need to get all of your nutrients in the sufficient range, ideally, both within soil tests and tissue tests. And a variety sure plays a difference too. If anybody ever mentions uh, lodging, I always ask them, you know, which variety are you growing and how are you growing it? Because some people tend to select varieties that have good protein but they may not have the best standability. So starting out with a variety that stands good, and then coupling that with a good fertility system—again, tissue test and soil test. Ideally, some phosphorus in the row at seeding time. Maybe some MESZ type products too that give you a little sulfur in the row. I mean, that would be a good way of starting out right, building a good root system from the start, building that platform. And then as your growing conditions evolve and you start getting moisture, then you can put more nitrogen on in-crop based upon the potential created created by the moisture.
3: All right, talk to us about that in-crop application of nitrogen, uh, stream bars versus broadcast and, and other methods you see growers using.
6: So I think it's good to start out by saying what's your potential? If you're in western north dakota or southern saskatchewan and you've got pretty low moisture now then you need to get some end down just to make sure the crop is able to access it so put a modest amount of end down 40 or 50 pounds maybe with, with you some with some phosphorus in the row too ideally and then if it starts raining and your yield potential begins to ratchet upwards that's your opportunity to add some post-applied nitrogen ideally with stream bars just from a uniformity perspective and lack of burn perspective over broadcast with flat fan nozzles. And you'll drop that nitrogen on ideally ahead of a rain to kind of bridge that gap between what you fertilize for at seeding time on your spring weed and what what you believe the potential is based upon the moisture, both for yield and protein. So that's kind of my suggestion, okay? Sure,
3: sure. Phil, there's been a lot of talk about some of the biological or natural products that could help bring in some more nitrogen in corn. How about in wheat? What do you see in wheat, and and are there any that you're getting excited about?
6: I think it's one of them topics where more research is required. When I worked for the Miles organization, we looked at many, hundreds perhaps, of different products uh, on a fee per per uh, plot basis, replicated trials, and we didn't see a lot of responses back then. They were relatively small relative to the cost of the products. We've looked at more recently, but I really think the cost of the products relative to the return, some of them are are awash. So I think there's more and more of those evolving. I think there's going to be more opportunities to really use them in the future. I think more often than not, getting FOSS down in the row, maybe some sulfur in the row, you know, if you're in an area that needs chloride or potash, maybe getting a little potash in the row a little bit, but but not too much in which you end up with seedling injury. Maybe pointing it off to the side in a mid-row band or a side band would be another option. But you've absolutely got to build that foundation for a good crop, I think, with base fertility. And you can soil test and then tissue test in crop to see what else is needed. But I think that's where I'd spend my money, is building that foundation with probably FOSS, some sulfur maybe some potash along with the nitrogen in the spring wheat fields okay
3: how about nitrogen stabilizers phil as you're putting a little bit of nitrogen out early a little bit of nitrogen out later and perhaps some more even later than that do you still need a stabilizer or are you trying to have highly available N right at those times
6: so where a stabilizer really works well and where i recommend it i mean some guys with a lot of acres of wheat just can't put their post applied N on ahead of a rain. I mean, they don't have that luxury. They've got 10 or 15 days worth of of application as it is. So if you see a rain coming and a good chance of rain, then I wouldn't use a stabilizer. But if you've got seven or 10 days without a rain following a post application of nitrogen, then an Agritane type product absolutely limits the volatility for 20 or 30 days, depending on the use rate. And that's well proven over many years, many locations. So we're strong advocates of products like Agritane to reduce or eliminate volatility for 20 or 30 days, again, depending on the rate. So that's a good investment if there's no rain in the forecast.
3: How about just overall plant health, fungicide use, those types of things, Phil? If we've got a, a great plant that can bring it, it and catch all the sunlight, can convert all the energy, uh, how big a piece is that in this protein uh, puzzle?
6: So protein is laid down last, as you know, in the partitioning of the grain. So a wheat crop ideally needs to have up to and around 4% nitrogen from the boot to early heading stage, and ideally about 0.4% sulfur. And we used to say 0.3 or 0.35, but we've recently upped that. We've seen more sulfur responses, so we've upped it to 0.4. But yeah, if you can create a green canopy from boot to early heading, again with a 0.4% nitrogen in a tissue test, you know you've created that environment for good yields. And good grain protein you know I often tell people we've done a lot with green seeker and optical crop sensing systems over the years and we still recommend them they're really good in fields that have a lot of variability but one of the best things that we learned out of those principles was using what we call the enriched strip which is generally 1.5 times the highest rate of nitrogen that we typically use in a field so if a grower typically uses 100 to 120 pounds of nitrogen on their wheat, the enriched strip would generally be 150 to 180 pounds actual nitrogen in a small strip, and we'd use that to calibrate the sprayer. It may be two or 300 foot long and the width of the sprayer, but that would be a benchmark where, where we had maximum chlorophyll, maximum plant greening, and the rest of the field would be adjusted in NDVI and, and rate, relative to that enriched strip but about seven or eight times out of ten at harvest time that little spot that was 200 300 foot long by the width of the sprayer would be the highest yielding part of the field with super high protein but sometimes it's not economical to use that much nitrogen but it's very good to put a little bit more nitrogen maybe 20 or 30 pounds more than you normally do in a strip all the way across the middle of the field or the side of the field or two or three strips ideally with some replications and check your yields and protein because generally those are assuming you got moisture those are generally the highest yielding and the better protein and you can use those as a benchmark to adjust your management going forward.
3: Uh, that's a great tip, but leave a check strip and and be able to compare the profitability, the yield, and the protein with that 1.5x uh, nitrogen strip. I like that, Phil. That's a great tip. Uh, we're talking with Phil Needham here with Needham Ag Technologies. Phil, always great stuff. Best of luck to you and your team heading into the spring.
6: Sounds good, guys. Same to you. Thank you.
3: Increasing protein levels in wheat can be a challenge. Uh, We were just talking earlier with the farmer saying, well, winter wheat's even harder than spring wheat to get that in. But I like Phil's take there, Brian, putting that N-rich strip out there where you know nitrogen's not the yield limiting factor to be able to compare to.
0: Yeah. I I mean, just trial work in general is really important. Every year is going to be a little bit different, so it's good to try some things out over a period of time, too, to see, hey, what's going to work year in and year out?
3: We've got a lot of questions that have been coming in for the Ag PhD Mailbag. We'll dive into those right after this. My mom's got a new case I extractor and
5: Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: You understand there are ways to boost your yield, but can you do it while reducing your inputs? With Plant Insights, powered by Prospera, you can.
5: With center pivot-mounted cameras to monitor crop health, Plant Insights captures thousands of leaf-level images with each pivot rotation. Growers receive reports to mitigate issues like pests, weeds, emergence, disease, and more. Put inputs where they matter most. Contact your local Valley dealer today or visit agtechonthefarm.com.
1: CNB, your local John Deere dealer is committed to helping you in the field. The CNB Support Center brings you machine monitoring, remote diagnostics, and guidance from expert technology specialists all season long. Learn more about what the CNB Support Center can do for you at deerequipment.com.
2: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
6: Come on in. The Ag PhD
3: Mailbag is about to begin. It is the AGPHD Mailbag time. If you've got a question for us, our email box is radio at agphd.com or you can give us a phone call at 844 44 Got this one in from Tanner. He said, guys, here are some soil samples for a field that we have in alfalfa production. Historically, this field hasn't produced well. It's had a very high base saturation sodium percentage. And we sent samples into a new lab, and so we're forwarding those results to you. I'm curious, my my questions are, would you recommend adding magnesium, maybe magnesium sulfate, and then what about additional gypsum?
0: Okay, so the reason why he's bringing up magnesium is the magnesium percentage is in the 7 to 10 percent range. It's not horrible uh Wood adding some more help maybe a little bit i i may consider trying some of that instead though i i mean if it was me where my dollars would go i i i mean he he already said sodium okay when sodium is high what do you think we're going to focus on we got to somehow flush that sodium out so his sodium percentage is around four it again it's not absolutely horrific But that is going to limit yield in pretty much any crop. So that's concerning to me. Cation exchange capacity is high. You're talking 22 to 28, 29, something like that. So first thing I'm thinking about is drain tile. Do I need drain tile in this? I'm going to guess yes. I'd like to know how the sodium got so high, though. Was it because of past manure applications? Or is it just flat out, hey, nothing is leaching out of this? The soluble salts aren't ridiculously high. They are not even at one. So, and But I would say, I mean, when I look at boron, it's a leachable. That number is kind of high. Nitrogen, for what's sitting there, looks a little on the high side to me for what we normally see. So I'm just guessing here that drainage is probably the issue. In order to get that sodium converted over to a salt so it can leach, you're going to need sulfate. So you got, uh, let's see, 20 to 40, 50 parts per million sulfur. I mean, honestly, I'm figuring out some way to get more sulfur out there. Sulfate is the form that we want that'll convert that uh, sodium into sodium sulfate. It'll make it a salt, make it leachable, and then hopefully over time you can flush that out. So yeah, are there other things that I would consider Sure. I I mean, your phosphorus levels are pretty low at uh, around 20 parts per million. So we'd want to raise that. Your potassium isn't bad, uh, but then you got manganese that's one part per million or less. You got copper that's uh, less than two parts per million. I mean, I'd consider both of those things. I'd also take a look at the iron, but I don't know what kind of tests they ran on the micronutrients. So it's really hard for me to say for sure I need manganese and iron, because if it's a DTPA test, I question it. If it was a Malik 3 test, uh, then I definitely say, oh yeah, you absolutely need manganese and iron.
3: All right, thanks for the, the questions, Tanner. really appreciate that, and good luck to you with your alfalfa. Got this one from PWW. You guys are talking about stock size uh, on a previous show. I'm curious, if I've got 34000 500 plants per acre on corn can i still maximize my stock size in a 30 inch row
0: without having issues Well, I don't know what maximize means exactly there. I think all he's after is, can I get it to stand? Of course you can. We'll plant higher than that. But what it's going to take is high levels of potassium in the soil. So typically when we start pushing it, when we're going above 34,000 for plants per acre, that's where lodging issues usually start to show in this part of the world. So that's where we tell guys, you know, we always say a minimum of 4% base saturation potassium, you might need 5 or 6. So on our farm, we've been pushing towards 6 and 7% base saturation K so we can raise more plants for when we are able to get full field yields of 300. Haven't gotten there yet, but we keep getting closer every year. So... That's a real big key. Now, on top of that, you got to have other things that are right. You want to have good drainage, reduced compaction. You need to plant the seed at the right depth, getting down to two, two and a half inches as opposed to inch and a quarter or something like that. I mean, there are so many other things that absolutely play into getting that great stock size uh, copper and manganese couple other nutrients obviously you got to have good levels of phosphorus as well for your plant to do well so a lot of a lot of important things there but to me potassium is always going to be number one all right thanks for the question
3: get this one in from pd out in idaho he said curious about soil surfactants have you guys ever tried them i've heard them being used on turf And I was curious, would they help with drainage in a yard, for example?
0: Yeah, they very well could. So I used to not be a believer in this at all. And then we started doing some work and some research with a company that does sell those types of soil surfactants to golf courses. Because there get to be spots in golf courses. They're mowed all the time. And let's, let's put it this way. Sometimes they have high levels of sodium and some of these other soil challenges we often talk about here in the show, and they need a fast solution, or sometimes their grass will die in this small area, and that's a big-time problem if you get a golf course. So they've used these soil surfactants, and then that does allow water to go down through there. So I don't love that as, oh, out in my cornfield or soybeans or wheat or whatever. I, I mean, I want to try to fix what's truly wrong in the soil, build my soil organic matter, make the soil more porous, have good levels of calcium... But I can do tillage out in the field and I can make these big applications and I, I, I'm not watering every day like they are in the golf course or anything like that. So they have a lot different situation in a golf course or certain turf management. So, yeah, you can certainly give those things a try. I, again, I'm a little skeptical. I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go on a big scale in a farm situation, but I mean, if you have had nothing but trouble and you've tried a bunch of things, by all means, I would consider some of those soil surfactants. All
3: right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get a couple of questions here that came in from Andy up in Ontario. And he said, I, I'm looking at Mulder's chart and I've got a few questions for you yep. here. First of all, if you see a plant tissue test, And you say, I'm short in something, and I want to try a foliar product. Let's say you're short in magnesium. Does it make sense to see what's synergistic with magnesium on Mulder's chart and add that in too?
0: Um, Well, (laughs) that's not a bad idea. So what Mulder's chart is, just to kind of step back for our audience here, this is a chart that's been out for decades now, and it basically is this big circle with all the nutrients listed around the circle, and then there are lines pointing from each nutrient to the ones that it's either synergistic to or antagonistic to. So for example, phosphorus and zinc, there's a line between the two and it's antagonistic. So what we mean by that is if you overdo it with phosphorus, now you created a zinc problem in your soil and in your plant. Or if you overdo it with zinc, now you created a phosphorus problem in your soil and or in your plant so that's where you have to keep those things in balance all the time and when he says synergistic where, where we're going with that is okay is there something that boy if I increase the level of one thing over here now it increases my magnesium level uh, yeah I don't know exactly what that would be uh, without looking at Mulder's chart real quick but so I've never had any experience saying, oh, I can do this, and all of a sudden my magnesium level is definitely better in my plant. But that—that that is certainly not a bad thought. So I'd have to study the Mulder's chart just a little more and just see if, if there was something where I said, oh, you know what, I think this is worth a try. Um, so I, I do not think that is a bad philosophy at all. The other thing is whenever we're doing plant tissue analysis and foliar feeding and all this kind of stuff, um, there's nothing, let's put it this way, there's nothing that replaces what you do for your overall soil program. And I don't just mean soil fertility. I mean drainage, pH management, uh, compaction, everything. So you want to try to get all those things right, and then you've got a much better chance to have your big root system that will pull up magnesium when your plant needs it.
3: All right, Andy's last question. Uh, any idea where I could find a poster-sized chart showing these antagonism and synergies like Mulder's chart?
0: No. <laughs> I, I mean, you can do a little searching online, otherwise you can create your own because we certainly put out Mulder's chart when we do a lot of AG PhD workshops. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this.
3: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio and today we've been talking about increasing protein levels in wheat. But right now we are in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. So in the last segment we had a question come in about magnesium and is there something that could stimulate the plant and its ability to draw in magnesium. So I did a little more looking on the Mulder's chart. I hadn't looked at it for quite a while, so I didn't remember this. But uh, phosphorus and nitrogen are two that will stimulate magnesium. So in other words, if you have good levels of phosphorus in the soil, good levels of nitrogen, a lot of times you can get more magnesium into the plant. On the opposite end of things, and we've been able to really prove this out on our own farm, potassium, magnesium, they're antagonistic. So if you get your potassium level too high, you're going to have a tough time getting magnesium into the plant and vice versa. So that's why we look so much at that base saturation percentage and that base saturation test because then we don't have to look just at potassium to magnesium or just at calcium to magnesium that a lot of people talk about. We are looking at all five things that really matter to us in the ratios. It's sodium and hydrogen besides potassium, magnesium, and calcium. So that's what the base saturation test shows. So again, potassium, magnesium, boy, they are very antagonistic. you got to keep those two in balance. Otherwise, you're going to create an issue with one or an issue with the other if you get them out of balance. But the phosphorus and the nitrogen can help magnesium availability and help, help the plant utilize magnesium better.
3: All right. Uh, I get a question that came in or actually some comments here that came in from Tom and he said you guys often talk about the costs of farming and I got a few things here. He said, first of all, I've switched to organic. It's not necessarily better, but if you do it right and be intentional on restoring the dirt, uh, it it seems to be a good system uh, for profitability. He said, the more I get established, though, the more I gain equity, the more I withdraw from a lot of the current trends out there. I just want to do business on my own terms. Uh, I don't want to have to rely on other people to farm. And he said at the end, uh, uh, the good thing about organic that I like, he said, although the yields might not be quite as good, I like that it's keeping the prices up in a range that seems to be a win-win. Any comments you guys would have?
0: Well, I would just say here at Ag PhD, our our job is to help you regardless of whether you want to do what a lot of people call conventional farming or if you want to go organic. We're here to help you if you want to use traits in your corn or soybeans, for example, or if you want to go what people now call conventional beans or conventional corn. I mean, it doesn't matter to us. We're just here to help you try to be successful. There are some principles that are going to apply to everyone. So that's good drainage and making sure you have the right balance of nutrients in your soil however you choose to get there whether you're using manure or compost or commercial fertilizer or let's say it's uh you're you're doing what we call green manure where you're raising a crop literally to just plow it into the ground and create more nutrients for the next crop. I I mean, there are a lot of different ways to farm. We're here to help you with whatever questions you've got and help you be successful in your operation.
3: All right. A question here from Troy down in Missouri. He said, I hear you guys talk about alfalfa now, which is exciting. I've got that in my operation. So I want to ask you a few questions about uh, what you're doing to push production and, and what I could do at home as well. Keeping the pH up to 7 or above is a little bit of a challenge for us, and oftentimes we have to lime every third or fourth year. Uh, just curious about, is it the pH? Is it the calcium? What's the big part of that?
0: Yeah, uh, calcium is the the big thing. We With soil pH, it really desperately needs to be right close to 7 if you want the best alfalfa. So, depending on your area, you may need to continue throwing lime out there on a regular basis. We always suggest that people look at why would your pH be going down? So like on our own farm, I can tell you what used to happen is we were putting on too much nitrogen for the yield we were raising. And what happens then is if there's excess nitrogen, you know what form it's going to turn into. It's going to be nitrate. When it leaches out, it's going to end up stripping calcium out of your soil And that's a problem that lowers pH. So we ended up with some pHs on our farm. And I hate to even say this clear down in the fours, in the fours, in South Dakota, That's almost unheard of, but now that we've been able to work with a lot of farmers doing small zones or small grids, like one acre zones or one acre grids, we're identifying a lot more of those spots where in effect, guys have put on too much nitrogen or did something to drive that pH down. Anyway, I just say you got to have lime for your alfalfa and keep that pH near 7. And by near 7, I don't mean 6. I mean 6.8 or higher, and that's where you maximize alfalfa production. The other big thing we always talk to alfalfa producers about is when you put that seed in the ground, make sure that your soil is loaded up on P and K down in the ground. Not on the soil surface, down in the ground. So it's no good. To, or i shouldn't say no good it doesn't do you very much good to just throw a whole bunch in the soil surface because phosphorus doesn't move in the soil and potassium barely moves in a heavy soil so you got to get it down and you got to put a whole bunch on and really build it up to begin with so before we put our alfalfa crop in last year we had hundreds of pounds of available phosphorus and especially available potassium. I mean, I bet we had a 1,000 pounds of available potassium in some of our fields. So we were ready to go to maximize tonnage over a three-year period in the life of that stand. Beyond that, it's treating on a regular basis for insects, diseases if necessary, keeping the weeds at bay, starting with a great pre-emerge herbicide. So like Eptam is our number one recommendation for a pre and alfalfa. you got to start out great, weed-free and insect-free. Otherwise, you're really going to devastate that stand for the long term.
3: All right. Thanks for the question, Troy. I got this one from Rob over in Wisconsin. He said, guys, I know it's right in the middle of planting season here and we're trying to get our corn and soybeans in the ground too, but we've got some rain coming up and we've got pastures with thistles that are already getting a good start out there. So we're going to try to spray some pastures, weather permitting, when we get this little break in the action of corn and soybean planting. So I wanted to ask you about thistles, but also about fertility management. In the past, we've always used 2,4-D, and we're often spraying at least twice per year trying to keep the thistles down and from going to seed. Is Milestone worth it? If I sprayed Milestone on a field with known thistle problems, how
0: many years in a row would I have to do it to completely eliminate them? One. Use the full 7-ounce rate. One time, done. You're good. And usually we see those thistles are gone for good. Now, if there's a bunch of seed in the ground and new stuff comes, hey, you're going to have to keep addressing it year after year, okay? But, yeah, you can permanently eliminate thistle patches with one shot a milestone. It's that good if you use the full 7-ounce rate.
3: All right, and then uh, about fertility management, Rob said, I've got some pretty up and down pastures, hilly ground, and then low ground that goes right down to where the water runs. Yep. Just curious about soil testing, how many samples (laughs) do I need, and what should I specifically look for? Okay, if
0: nothing else, we're going to tell you hilltops, sample those separately from side hills, sample those separately from valleys. Odds are fertility and some of your nutrients have washed down. Yeah. I I just say that's, that's number one. You know, in crop fields, we usually talk to guys about one acre grids, maybe five acre grids at the biggest or zones. I don't really care. But if you've got really rolling hills, definitely look at topography. That's number one for your soil tests.
3: Yeah, and you want to get complete soil tests as well, just like we'd recommend out in fields. We right. want to see what's the soil pH, what are the base saturation percentages, what are your micronutrient levels. This is sulfur. Something, yeah, and sulfur. This is something interesting we did on our farm a number of years back. We we were trying a blended micronutrient product and. And just talking to that manufacturer, they said, try a strip out in your pasture and then tell us what you see with the cattle. Do they go to the strip? Do they run away from the strip? Uh, Just kind of curious what's out there. So we did a strip. And the cattle went right to that strip and ate it all up, and they loved it. And I know I remember growing up, Dad would always say, well, if you've got mineral blocks or or protein blocks or salt blocks or anything out there for cattle, they'll go to what they really need. And I thought that was kind of interesting. They went right to where we were putting more micronutrients on, and of course, the rest
0: of the pasture, the soil tests, uh, it didn't look that great That yeah. micros we needed to build them yeah remember you're not just after yield here you're after feed quality and that is huge all right well thanks for the question we really appreciate that and we don't talk about
3: pastures enough so that's that's kind of a nice one too thanks for listening to today's program be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio